following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Um, if you want to, to get there, uh, Hebrews is right near the end of your New Testament. As a matter of fact, you can look in my Bible kind of to see how close it is to the end. Um, if you're not sure where it's at, that's fine. Look it up in your table of contents. It's there for a reason. And, um, and I'll be reading here momentarily out of the New American Standard. Before we get to that, though, um, I need to tell you what I've been hearing so much about recently. And maybe you've heard the same thing. Maybe you're some of the people who've been talking to me about it, how I need to get on board. You, you, ever, you ever get that? Get on board with something, all right? And this is it. Walmart pickup. I have been told that it is the way to go, right? Yeah, the way to go. And uh, basically, from my understanding of this, you communicate with Walmart through your phone or your computer or your iPad or anything else. And, and, and you tell them what you want, you pay for it, and when you get there, it's like waiting for you. i uh, well, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now, I don't, I don't, Donna does more of the Walmart shopping than I, than I do, but we have not taken advantage of this yet. And I'm not to saying that we won't, and we probably will, but I've got a question for you. Is this, because this is like brand new. This is like new stuff here. And my question is, is it really new? Um, how many of you, now, I'm sorry, uh, don't ra- I'm not asking you to raise your hand, okay? All right, don't raise your hand, but I would be, I'd be willing to guess that there's some of you in here who've watched the show Little House on the Prairie before, all right? Or, or read the book, Eddie, we, we talked about in the first service. He wanted me to make that very clear, all right? Um, do you know what happens when, when you go to the, to, the, to the store in Little House on the Prairie? You like walk in, hand them a list, and you stand while they get everything for you and bag it all up for you and send you happily on your way. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, come on, people. It's been around since horse and buggy times, all right? Advanced communication. I mean, it really, really takes something huge to be advanced communication. And we're talking about band. I think that's pretty big, but is it huge? Is it really advanced Communication. I mean, we're talking big, folks, like Alexander Graham Bell big. I mean, for it to be advanced. Now, here is a question for you. Has God ever gone the advanced communication route? Let's talk a little bit about Hebrews. Just a word about Hebrews, because it is an interesting book of the Bible, and there's some things about it that make it somewhat different than other New Testament books of the Bible, and here's a few of them. A lot of what we read in the New Testament we call epistles. What we really call them in modern-day language is letters, letters written from people to churches. And Hebrews is a letter, but it doesn't really begin like a letter. It kind of ends like a letter, but it doesn't really begin like one. And it could probably be better labeled a sermon, okay? A kind of a long sermon, but but a sermon. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews even says that this is a word of exhortation or a word of encouragement, which is a sermon. All right, 
A couple other things about it. This is a second generation writing. What that is meant is the author of this, by reading it, apparently was not someone who sat under the teaching and the leading of Jesus. All right? But don't get me wrong. This isn't like something written many, many years later. This was written long before the end of the first century. It was well known, it was quoted, it was used often. And let me tell you something else about Hebrews. It is incredibly, extremely well written, right? It is a class of writing that is not really even found in the other parts of the New Testament. I mean, it is a scholarly, if you will, a very in-depth look, and it is incredibly well written. All kinds of authors are thrown out there for Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews does not claim authorship, does not put their name in the letter. And it's been said, Apollos. If, if you know much about the book of Acts right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that Apollos was a powerful teacher and a very, very well-spoken, well-educated man. And some say, that's the guy right there. Apollos wrote this. Others say, the apostle Paul wrote it. It doesn't look like all of his other writing, but he wrote it. Uh, and there's others who get this. There's some who even say Priscilla and Aquila as a couple wrote this. So maybe when we're talking about the author of Hebrews, we're talking about not just him, but maybe her. We simply do not know. But what we do know from what is written in it is that it's written to a Jewish Christian audience. And what I mean by that, it's, it's an audience of people who, were, who grew up with Judaism, grew up with the Jewish religion, and they became believers in Jesus Christ. And not only that, it seems as we look through this book that their growth in Christ seemingly had come to a halt, or that was in danger of happening. The message of Hebrews, you could boil it all down to this, okay? And I heard several people that I spoke with this week who, who knew that we were jumping into this, this sermon series. I've heard this, I mean, this is not coming just from me, all right? I mean, it's not like some earth-shaking thing here. It's very well known. The message of Hebrews is this, Christ is greater. And step by step, this book goes through what Christ is greater than. It's an incredible book in the New Testament that focuses exclusively on Jesus and his work. I can tell you right now, it begins with a bang. All right, so let's just jump into it. We're going to look at three verses today. You're like, uh, we're looking at three verses. How long are we going to be in this sermon series? Like three years? Well, we'll go a little faster before it's all said and done, all right? But today, we're going to look at the first three verses. I'm going to be reading again from the New American Standard, and um, I hope you got your Bibles here that you can follow along. Treat your Bibles textbook, folks. You got a pen, something jumps out to you, write in it, all right? Okay. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways... And these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
You know something? The number one method of communication in our world has been for a long time and continues to be verbal. Spoken. The spoken word. It is spoken and it is heard. It continues to be the number one way of communicating. And I can tell you right now, when dealing with a restriction, verbal, with commu- verbal communication, communication can get a little bit complicated and get a little bit tough. Um, Colette, she's um, Jared Vineyard's mom, and, and she recently had some medical, uh, some medical issues that for one thing that happened is she, she lost her hearing. Now, it's coming back some, and she's very grateful for that. And this, this poor lady has had conversations with me recently. You do it with a whiteboard, a little whiteboard about this big. And I will tell you this. Colette's talking with a lot of people because every time I go down there, the, 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 the marker, the dry erase marker is like worn out. You've got to track down another one, all right? So now this is why I feel bad for her is because I'm a preacher, all right? I don't know if you know this about preachers. They never stop talking. I mean, if you didn't know that, it's kind of the truth, all right? And so, so when you've got, I mean, I like need a whiteboard like this, you know? And I've got this whiteboard, so I, I never can get a thought finished. It's like I write a sentence, and then I don't put a period on it because I'm not done yet. So dot, dot, dot. And she looks at me like, okay, like well, it's not through yet. So erase it. Erase it, and then I write some more. Now, she can speak. I can hear her. She just can't hear me. So dot, 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 dot. And I could see her just looking at me like, can you summarize? Do you know anything about summarizing? It's really hard to chase a squirrel in a conversation when you're using a whiteboard. It is. And Colette is a very patient woman, though, and I appreciate her. I can tell you this. Verbal communication, when it gets restricted just a little bit, things get more difficult. Let me, let me ask you about something. Imagine, just for a moment, a world if God had never spoken in this world. Now, we could go one or two routes with this if we're going to talk worldviews for a little bit. One of those routes is called deism, and that's basically the belief that God created everything, and then he just said, I'm done. I got it going. And I'm done. I'm like backing off and I'm going to get the popcorn. I'm going to watch the show. All right? That's, that's deism. Now, now, another side of that, a belief system, is called, um, called agnosticism. And that one's basically this. It, you can't know if God is real. It's just like, you can't really disprove him, you can't really prove him, so it's just like, well, he may be there, I don't know, and I really don't care, okay? And let me tell you something, if God had never spoken, and we fell into one of those camps, that is a world, folks, without hope. That is a doomed world. And I am so glad and so thankful that God did speak. God does speak. So let's read about that again. We looked through it all. Now let's break it down just a little bit. Verse 1 again. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. God spoke to and through his prophets in all kinds of sorts of ways. Now to Moses, who was the bringer of the law and the prophet in his own right, God spoke to him in storm and thunder and it was It was like 
crazy, all right? And then you've got the prophet Elijah, whom God, remember how God spoke to him in a still, small voice. You've got all of these ways that God communicated in the Old Testament. Ways that he communicated to his people. But you've got to understand something. When you look to that part of history, you will see very quickly that God's communication was limited. And it was not limited by his ability to communicate, but by mankind's ability to receive that communication. What happened to Israel when they're at the base of Sinai? Moses is up there talking with God on Sinai, and the people are like, whoa! I mean, they, they don't want anything to do that. It terrified them. So God limited his communication through people servants, through prophets. And if you wanted to sum up the entire Old Testament, God's communication in the entire Old Testament, you want to sum it up with one word, that word would be promise. In the Old Testament, God spoke his promise to his people. And then we jump into verse 2. And it says this, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. You see, Old Testament promise. New Testament fulfillment of that promise. Christ is God's final word. In him, all of God's promises are answered and fulfilled. And and our author says, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. And I know what we're thinking. He's saying, well, this is first century stuff. So he's just saying these last days because it didn't really happen that long ago. It's a little different today. No, 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 no. This This isn't so much talking about time. This is a Hebrew phrase referring more to an age. In this age, God has spoken through his son. In other words, in the age of Jesus God fulfilled the promises given through his prophets. In the Old Testament, God used servants to communicate. In the New Testament, God used his son. You know, I was reading an article just a couple of days ago. And it was an interesting article, and it will speak to some of you, and some, people, some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about because it has everything to do with the NFL draft. All right? It's kind of funny. Trying, yesterday I was trying to tell my, our daughters about the NFL draft and kind of how that looked. And it was really difficult to explain because Addison and Audrey, they're, basically their whole idea of, of Kansas City football is this. I mean, this is touchdown, Kansas City. Like, that's, like their whole, that's like their whole knowledge of football. And that's usually followed by this. Let's go, Royals. Okay, and pretty soon after that, it's followed by Rock, Shark, Jayhawk. Okay, I won't go through that. Takes a long time to get through that one. Okay, all right. So they, so they're like, "What does the draft mean?" And I'm like trying to explain this draft. I don't you know? Okay, this is basically what the draft means. We don't know who any of these people are, and they're getting put on the teams that we cheer for. Okay, because that's the way it works. If they're not a first round draft pick, Mike, you know how many how many first round draft picks Colts have this year? They had one. They traded. Chiefs did the same thing. So we don't care. We don't care. See, we, our teams didn't have a first-round draft pick, so we're like, who are these people? And so I read an article that said this, five things you need to know. I don't even know how they pronounce the guy's name. I think it's McColl Hardman. McColl Hardman? 
Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Any of you know? Well, he's the, first, he's the second round first pick for, uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's like, five things you got to know about this guy. Okay, because I know nothing about him. All right? Who are these guys? Now, imagine for a moment. Imagine for just a moment that you don't know anything about what this book says. You haven't heard anything about this Jesus. And you hear about this Son of God and you ask, who is this Son of God guy? Who is this Jesus? And our author would say, glad you asked. Because there are seven things that you need to know about the Son of God. Seven things you need to know about God's Son. And the very first one comes out of verse 2, and it's this. He is the heir of all things. The heir of all things. It's his inheritance. It's his. And it's not just talking about the world, this all things. He is the heir of everything. In chapter 2, you know what they're going to jump into? Say he's the heir of the world to come. The world that he will remake. He's the heir of that, too. He's the heir of all things. And then, so number one, there you go here. It moves on through verse two. It says, it was through him that God made the world. Now, New American Standard there in verse two uses world there at the end of it. Now, maybe your version of the Bible uses universe or something like that. To be honest with you, neither one of them do justice to the Greek. The Greek says, basically through him, the ages were made. And what that means is this. Everything created, the world, the universe, the galaxies beyond, the stars, everything you can think of was made through Jesus. Everything, including time and space. That's some pretty big stuff there. And every bit of it was made through him. This matches up really, really well with two authors that we do know who they are in the New Testament. The Gospel of John writer, his name was John, (laughs) all right? Uh, And he wrote about how everything that was made was made through the Word, and the Word was Jesus, all right? And then you go to Colossians, the first chapter, and it talks about how God made everything through his Son, Jesus. And then we'll get more into what he says next here in just a moment. So everything made, everything was made through him. And then we move on into verse 3, and it says, He is the radiance of God's glory. You see, the glory that Jesus has is straight from the source. Okay? And this, this word radiance, it's an incredibly intriguing word from the Greek language, and it's the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. Only time it's ever used. And... um. Oh, shoot, I just jumped right ahead of myself. Hold that thought for just a moment, okay? I got so excited about it, I jumped into it too early. It's a different R word. So, go back to the radiance of his glory, and for just a moment, go to one other moment in Jesus' life. It was about a month before Jesus went to the cross. He took three of his closest followers, Peter, James, and John, and he took them with him onto a mountaintop. And all we get about this mountaintop is it was high. They were up there, okay? And he took them up there. Jesus knew what was coming soon, okay? And it's like just for a moment, he got to experience something that 
he hadn't in a while. And what we call it is the transfiguration of Jesus. Where a tamer version of of Jesus' heavenly wardrobe, he put on for a moment. Matter of fact, it says that his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. And it was such an amazing scene that his three closest followers, Peter, James, and John, were like dumbfounded. They do not know what to do with this. And Peter goes, man, this is fun. Let's build some tents and let's have a slumber party, all right? And God cuts him off mid-sentence and says, this is my son. Listen to him. So just for a moment, Jesus got to take that glory that he'd always worn, but he put aside for a while and put it back on. This is the thing you got to understand. Jesus is the source. He's the real thing. And now look what happens next. A little more details about this. Not radiance, but representation. It says Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. That word, exact representation, is really, really, really interesting. What it means in the Greek is basically this. It means something engraved. Now, let's go a step beyond that. This is the way this word was used in that culture. It was a Roman culture. Roman, the Roman world dominated. I mean, it was the Roman world. Rome dominated the world. And it was their currency that people used throughout that world. And that currency was made up of coins. Okay, you remember Jesus talked about that in his last week. They, they said, they asked him about taxes. All right, who do you pay taxes? You, you give it to Caesar or you give it to God? And Jesus says, give me one of those coins. They gave him a coin. Remember what he asked? He says, Who's, whose inscription's on this coin? Whose was on it? Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And his, his opponents are like, all right, man, he got us again. All right, so basically what that is talking about this exact representation is the dye that was used to make that coin. All right? You have the dye, you pour the liquid metal into it, and every single time what is going to come out of that dye is the exact representation of that dye. Exact same word was used for the seals of the kings and the emperors of that time. They would have a ring and they would seal documents in wax. And every single time when that ring came out of the wax, what was left? The exact representation of what was on that ring. And Jesus is the exact representation of God. To see Christ is what? It's to see exactly what the Father is like. For 33 years, people of this world got to see firsthand what God is like as they watched Jesus. Continuing on, right there in the middle of verse 3, it says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. His mighty word. You see, when Jesus and God, when God spoke through Jesus the creation of everything, all right, the job wasn't really done. It wasn't just like make it and be done with it. No. Colossians 1, Paul tells us this, that everything created was created through Christ. And then he says this, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Our author here agrees entirely. Jesus holds it all together. If Jesus were to release his grip, his power on the world around us and the universes beyond, it would 
It wouldn't work. And up to this point in this what Jesus is, this who Jesus is, so far it's been about this great and mighty cosmic power and responsibility. And then our author switches gears. Look back to verse 3 and he says this. When he had made purification of sins. Now it starts changing up just a little bit. So far we've been talking about the mighty, cosmic, powerful Son of God. And then we got to talking about how he relates with his people. You got to remember this was written, as I said, to a Jewish Christian audience. This is an audience of people who have grown up with the temple, with the tabernacle, with the sacrifices there, knowing that it was in the hands of the high priest. It was his responsibility to offer the sacrifices that would atone for the people of Israel. That was the system in which they grew up, in which they learned. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he is the ultimate, final high priest. Not just because of offering a sacrifice, but because he offered himself as a sacrifice. The only sacrifice through which we can become holy and pure before God. You see, cosmic power puts us in a place of awe. It's like, woo! I mean, it's like these big things. But to think of a creator that mighty in power. Leaving that all behind. That level of sacrificial love is simply unthinkable. And it's incredibly humbling to think what God has done so that we can be with him again. Only the Son of God could accomplish this. And then our author wraps it up there in the end of verse 3. He says, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, Jesus was rewarded for his work. And he took that place of authority again. You see, when Jesus returns to this world one day, and folks, he is coming back. And when he returns, this world in bodily form is not going to be like the last time around. The world's going to know. Going to know that the Son of God, who already had this incredibly high place of honor, the right hand of God, how for our sake he chose to earn that place. With his proven innocence under fire. You know what this Hebrews letter talks about? It talks about a high priest who can sympathize with us in all of our temptations. Because he's been there. You know what else it says? It says that the son of man had to learn obedience through the things which he suffered. So Christ willingly gave up a place of authority only to take that place up again after earning that place that he already had by his sacrifice and by his blood. That's Jesus. 
All of this is Jesus. You know, yesterday, I went with a a group of people, and we went down to the Warren Theater, and we watched the greatest superhero movie ever. Oh my goodness, you're part of the crazies, aren't you? I'm about to talk about the crazies. We got two of them right here on the front row. Goodness gracious. Greatest superhero movie ever. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to ruin it for you right now. So listen closely. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not going to ruin anything. But I will tell you this. It was very, very entertaining. It was good. And I'll tell you what. The crowd was into it. Okay. We went to a matinee. All right. So I would say at a matinee, the level of crazy in the audience was like right here. Okay, because, because me, now my wife will tell you I laugh at movies. Okay, if it's funny, I'm going to laugh. I don't care. I laugh loudly at movies. I don't care if anybody else is laughing. I don't mind. I mean, it, it made me laugh. You got a problem with that? Sit somewhere else, okay? I'm going to laugh. All right, so, but that's kind of like my ultimate. Like, I don't, I don't like, woo, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I don't, and, and so the level of crazy at the matinee was like right here, like, you know, Iron Man would show up, woo, all right, what's people doing, you know? I think that the night people who come to movies, they're like the really, I mean, we saw like Captain America come in, you know? I mean, full on Captain America came in. I was like, that's crazy, okay? But we're sitting there watching this movie, all right? And, and, and at times people are laughing, I wasn't the only one, and at times people are like, and then at times the people are crying, you know. Poor Quentin sat right beside me. I thought I was going to hold him like a little baby. I mean, the poor fellow is just bawling his eyes out. He was, wasn't he, Tim? He didn't even talk on the way home. He was just bawling. I didn't say that in the first service because Quentin was back there in the first service. Um, so all of this goes on. And it's interesting. You leave the theater and, uh, and I, was, I was impressed, Tim, by, because Tim made it, made it, I mean, Tim's like a movie guy, and he's like, look, when you leave the theater, you can't talk that much about it because you got other people coming into the theater as you're leaving, and you don't want to ruin it for them. So, and really, the crowd, it was pretty impressive. They were, they were pretty good. They didn't say too much, you know? Well, then we get in the car on the ride home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was like... <laughs> I guess I joined the crowd. I was a dork. I mean, I mean, I'm looking up stuff, you know, oh, hey, this is what, and I'm just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I just can't believe I'm doing this. With all the excitement that around this movie, and they say, the reason I'd say it's the greatest superhero movie of all time, because it will blow everything else out of the water when it comes to box office receipts, all right? I mean, it's, it's going to make a lot of money. And as much as people were talking about it, and as excited as people were as, I, as we left, I did not hear one person say, I doubt Tig did, I doubt Tim did, I doubt the girls did, I, th- I don't think any of Jeffrey, I doubt she heard this either. I never heard anybody say, that was incredible, it changed my life. I never heard it. And there's a reason for that. Even Captain America, who walked in to watch the next showing, realizes it's not real. It's fantasy. 
And going to that movie is the time just to kind of leave some things behind for a while and be entertained. But guys, heroes do really live. And the greatest thing about Hebrews and about this thing as a whole It's the greatest story of the greatest hero ever told is life-changing because it's not fantasy. It's real. Jesus lived. He died. He rose. And he's coming back. Jesus is the greatest. That's the message of Hebrews. 